Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. countryside. He was preaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found the part where it said The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has... Hello? Because he has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This, brothers and sisters, is the word of God. Good morning, church. We should cut the power we so often. You guys were just louder on that thanks be to God this morning. Um, I came across some, uh, you know, we, we work hard, obviously. Melissa works hard every week to make sure that what's printed in your bulletin is what is supposed to be printed in your bulletin. But I came across some things that were found, some misprints that were very unfortunate in church bulletins. Uh, Thursday night, potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. (laughs) Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. (laughs) Oh, come all ye faithful, sin in exaltation. Don't let worry kill you, let the church help. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be what is hell. Come early and listen to our choir practice. Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. And the sermon this morning, Jesus Walks on Water, the sermon tonight, Searching for Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I don't know. We've all had that moment, right, where there were some words that you sent or said that you wish you could get back? You ever had those moments? Things that you said that either immediately after you said them, or maybe upon reflection later on, or something you clicked send on, that the words went out and you couldn't get them back. We've all had that. These are more benign, humorous ones, but but there's probably many cases where we have felt like there were words that we said that we know we shouldn't have said, or perhaps words that were said to us that we wish were never said to us. Sometimes there are words that we should have said that we didn't say. And we know we should have said them. 
Maybe we still find we cannot say them even though we know we need to. Or maybe there were words that were not said to you that you wish really were. Things that you were longing to hear from loved ones that maybe even still to this day you haven't heard. And I think this is common for many of us as we reflect on the relationships in our lives. That isn't it strange that even in our adult life, if we were to ask each other, if I were to ask you, if you were to ask me, do you remember things that were said to you that were, that were negative things from years and years ago? Isn't it interesting that you remember them still? That some of them have found a way to just burn themselves in our memory. And that even still as adults, we still in many ways have things that we wished our parents would have said to us. Things that they didn't say. Words of affirmation, words of love, words I'm proud of you, or you know, you're great at this. And even as adults, we still would love to hear those words. And perhaps maybe some of us, our parents have passed on. And so that's not possible anymore. Or we're in relationships most often, I think, with the people closest to us, family, close friends. We have this experience of things that we have said to them. Like sometimes it seems that we, re we reserve our, our harshest words for those that we love the most, that are closest to us. Or perhaps those are the ones that have had, as they're closest to us, they have the power to be able to hurt us with their words, even if they're not intentionally trying to. Sometimes they're just offhanded remarks. Or again, it is the words of those closest to us that we love the most, that we want to hear the most. Whether parents with children, whether you're young or old, if you're married, in married relationships, there are words we have said to each other as husband and wife that we wish we could take back. There are words sometimes that we wish the other person would say to us that just don't seem to come clear or come quickly. It's interesting now living in a social media culture where in a sense, we see words enshrined in, in a permanency like they never have been before. Because so much more is written these days than is spoken. In blogs, in emails, Facebook posts, 140-something characters. And the potential for words to hold power, and words are always powerful, but their, their powerful potential are more visible in a sense now because they are on screens everywhere, because they are written down. It's not just something somebody said, it's something somebody wrote that I can read again and again. And we've all experienced this and been on either end of it. And many of our lives, in fact, are shaped by those words that were said or not said. Now, it's interesting in our culture, even though there are so many words that are being spoken, in a sense, because so many people have the ability to say things, the meaning of words sometimes tends to be lost, and people might say, well, it doesn't matter what somebody said about you. Who cares what somebody wrote about you? Who cares what your parents did or didn't say to you? Just move on. In fact, there is a prevailing view in our culture that language is a relative thing. It just means whatever you want it to mean. And so you can change the words and change the terms. And so somebody said that to you, but that doesn't matter. You know, shake it off, little Taylor Swift. <laughs> shake it off. What does it matter what that person thinks or what this person says? And yet, why is it that, w that words are so hard to shake off? Why is it that words that have passed, and even though in our rational mind we may say, well, that's not true about me, or, you know what, I don't need my parents to have said this in order for me to feel loved or proud of what I've accomplished or feel like I'm 
a good person, but why is it that we still need them? Words are much more actually than just a social construct, a means of communicating information. And we know this because actually the scriptures tell us that before the world began, God was speaking. And that the very existence we have, life itself, came about by the word of God. That God spoke life into existence. That in a sense, the foundation of, of our existence is the speaking voice and word of God. It's also interesting that if you read the story, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 begin with God speaking life into the world. And what was God's pronouncement over everything that he made, including you and I? One word. Good. Right? That life began with God speaking a word of power that brought you and I and all of life into existence. And that's not a scientific explanation for how it happened. Nobody was there. Okay? We just know that God did it. And he spoke it. And when he spoke it out, he said, this is good. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3. Another voice comes into the picture. And it was also a voice that was speaking words. It was the voice of the tempter, the voice of Satan, that began to sow seeds of doubt, discord, fear, questioning, rebellion, that began to unravel the world. And it's interesting, the two words that the Bible uses to describe the devil and all of his work of destruction in the world is liar and accuser, right? They are speaking words. They are words that describe someone who is actively destroying by lying, which is a, an act of speaking, and by accusing, which as I said to you before, lies are destructive because they can distort the way reality is. But accusations are also destructive because often they're true. Didn't you do this? Oh, what right do you have to say this? How could you have done that? I can't believe you just did that. I can't believe you just said that. And so here we see God bringing life into existence through the spoken word, pronouncing a word of good over it, and then the devil coming in and beginning to twist and unravel the world through words as well, through lies that distort how we see ourselves and God and the world around us, and through accusations. So it's no, then should be no surprise to us to, to read that God's plan of rescue for us was to send his son into the word, to the world, and to, to and that the son is called the living word. The, the beginning of the Gospel of John, one of the biographies of Jesus, it mirrors very much the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word came and made his home amongst us. You see, God knew that the rescue that needed to happen in my life and your life, the, the power that words have to build up and tear down, to give life and to destroy, that into the world was coming the living word. Not only carrying messages about who God is, but himself a voice that would speak life and light and love. When Jesus began his public ministry, you know, I've said this to you before, but how the first 30 years of his life, he lived in relative anonymity, was a good Jewish son, working in the family business. But at the age of 30, he burst on the scene. And very early in his ministry, 
he went to the synagogue where the community, people in his community would have worshipped. And he was asked to read, and that scripture that Len read for us was the passage that Jesus chose. And he, it says he unrolled, he found the scroll of Isaiah, and he read this part for you, and those words are up on the screen for you again. Look at the words that he says over and over. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do what? Proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. I have come as a voice. The living word. And what does he say I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to preach good news to the poor. To those that are weak and broken and suffering, I will speak light. To those who are in darkness, I will speak light. And to those who are oppressed, I will bring freedom and speak love. In a world that is so twisted up and broken by lies and accusation, by words that we have spoken that have destroyed others and that have been spoken to us and destroyed us, words that have been withheld that should have been given as gifts were withheld that has caused hurt and pain. Into that world, Jesus says, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom for the ones in darkness and release for the prisoners and the oppressed. And as we see the life of Jesus, as he began to go, he was doing that. He was physically bringing good news to the poor because he would feed them, literally. But then he was bringing good news to the poor in spirit. He was speaking to them. He says, look, if you have an emptiness of soul, if you have a thirst, he says to the woman at the well, for something more than true water can satisfy, it is found in me. He was not just giving them food. He was bringing them to him, the living bread. He was speaking words of life. He would walk past funerals and literally could not stop himself from raising the dead. He comes to Lazarus, his friend who had died for four days. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He was speaking life. But he also spoke life to those who were dead in their hearts. He was trying to speak life into their dead religion. Call them out of duty into delight. Call them out of mere religious observation into a love relationship with the living God. He was speaking life everywhere he went. He was speaking light. You know, he literally gave the blind man light, but then he spoke light words of illumination that helped people see who they really were. It helped them see who God really was. Because religion and sin and guilt and shame had clouded their soul understanding. He said, this generation is darkened, and I have come that they might have light, that they might see themselves for who they really are, and see the great living God, my Father, for who he really is, and see me for who I am, the light of the world. He spoke words of life and light, and he spoke, spoke words of love. He offered grace to people through his words of forgiveness. They would come sick, and he'd say, I forgive you. They threw a woman down in front of him who had been accused of adultery. And in that culture, of course, only the woman would be there accused. The man was somewhere else. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. With words of love and grace. So free was he with the Father's love that the religious people around him said, there's no way you could be God. You are too friendly with sinners. You are too close to them. You break bread with them. You're too welcoming of them. Light, life, love, Jesus spoke. 
And here, so here's what's so amazing to us, friends. This is, you know, one of the many reasons why Jesus, his life, his coming is called good news. Is that you and I have been brought into a new family. See, I don't, I don't know all of your family stories. But I know there was hurt because there's just hurt in families. And maybe there were things that your parents said to you that have stuck with you. You haven't been able to shake. Maybe it was another sibling. Maybe it was a cousin or an uncle. Maybe it was just someone close to you. And, and maybe some of the words were benign. They didn't seem hurtful to you, but you always felt compared to another sibling. Or maybe they were actively hurtful words that a father or a mother spoke of you. Maybe there were words that you longed to hear that you never heard. And, and, and maybe in your family, love was shown by hard work and loyalty, but not spoken. Maybe you heard it once, but you craved to hear, I love you all the time. I'm proud of you. You're good. The good news is, friends, that you and I have been brought into a new family where God is the father and Jesus is the older brother. And the significance of Christ being our older brother is he shows us how the children live in the home. And what he experienced was the total love and affirmation of the father. And he says, this is yours too. You are now in a new family, whatever your family background was. Whatever words you heard that you shouldn't have heard, words you wish you had had that you never did, in this new family that you and I have, in the body of Christ, we hear the words of life and light and love that we were meant to have. That in the family of God, we experience the affirmation of a heavenly Father who loves us exactly as we are and yet knows us exactly as we are. We experience the grace of the Lord Jesus, words of love that forgive us when we fail, no matter how many times we fail. We never hear, how many times do I have to tell you? We never hear, what's the matter with you? Instead, we hear, you know, my grace is enough for you because actually my power is made perfect when you are most weak. That's what we hear. And we are told what we will hear when we arrive on that day to see him face to face is that he will pronounce his blessing, well done, good and faithful servant. That, the work, the, that it says the, that God sings over us. This is the good news of what we have, words of life, light, and love spoken to us in the family of God. Isn't that incredible news? That's why it's good news that you and I, because all of us came from families that were not what they should have been, no matter how great your family experience was. And this is not to throw mud up our family tree there. It's just to recognize that I didn't get all that I needed and some of what I got I should have never got. And that in Jesus, I have a new family tree. And that my identity is shaped not by the words that were spoken over me by parents or siblings or weren't, but what sinks deep into my heart, what's, what shape, what's burned in my mind and shapes my identity and sense of who I am, is who God says I am in Christ. And that the love that he poured out on his son is poured out on us. And Jesus says, what, what I get from the Father, you get too. But here's the other implication. Is that if we are going to be, if we are the people 
of Jesus, if we are the family of God, if we are Jesus' followers, if we are his body, then the church must be a place where we speak words of life and light and love to each other. Right? The church should be a place that overflows with words of life, light, and love. I know we're talking about spiritual gifts and gifts that speak, but really this is about a calling that every one of us has to be able to speak life into each other's lives because of what Jesus has done. Like I said, I know some of you came from families where words of love were not expressed. Loyalty, hard work, you know, presence, food on the table, but maybe not words of life and light and love. And I know in talking with you, we have, last I checked, we have over 35 different ethnic backgrounds in our church. And I know for many of you, and I've heard this from different ethnic backgrounds, that some of you will say, well, our ethnic background is not, it's not common to praise each other. It's not common to speak words of affirmation or commendation to each other. It's, it's, it's actually thought of as a bad thing to, to receive a compliment because you might be proud. And so if people compliment you, you say no, we don't actually, or someone said, you know what, my parents, that, that's just not how it works in our culture. The parents don't praise the kids. They don't affirm them. They don't say, I love you. They don't speak words of life. They don't open their heart and share emotions. And this is not just one country. I've heard this from so many different people. And friends, can we just say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the church should not be shaped by the emotional unhealth of our family backgrounds or our ethnic backgrounds. Can we just say that? We should not be bringing those kinds of habits and thoughts and ways of relating from our family backgrounds or our ethnic backgrounds into the church because this is not how it works in here. This place is governed by a father who speaks life over all creation and says, this is good, who speaks life over his son and says, this is my son that I love, I'm proud of him. It's governed by an older brother, Jesus, who says, I love you. Call, call, the, call God in heaven, Father, Daddy, Abba. That in Jesus' name, this is not a place where we say, you got 98% on that test, whatever happened to the other 2%? Right? This is a place where we say, you know what? My grace and forgiveness abound for you. No matter how many times you offend me, because, you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ abounds for me. And in fact, he tells me that his power, his grace is made even more marvelous when I am weak and failing. So when you are weak and failing, my words to you are words of grace, not words of get your act together. Can we agree on that? And what a place this would be. To be a place that is shaped by words of affirmation, love, and encouragement. For some of you, you need to let the church, the family of God, reshape what happens in your biological family. And even if you're the only one, even if you're the only believer in your family, the only one that's, that says, yes, I agree, that God can begin to change and, and reshape the culture of your family through your commitment to be someone who speaks words of life and light and love. Some of you, and what is, what is one of the major problems in your marriage is that there's not enough words between you of life and light and love. 
that your words to each other are shaped by criticism or silence. There is no room for the silent treatment in a Christian marriage because we belong to a God who speaks light and life and love over us, who could not walk past a funeral without raising the dead, who drew to him the weak, the needy, the marginalized, the rejected. Some of us in our marriages need to open up new ways of communicating, where we begin to speak more and more affirmation, encouragement, life, and love, and where words of affirmation become a regular part of the language in our homes, no matter what each other has done. It's time to stop remembering the things that others have done. It's time to stop focusing on what isn't being done and begin to speak words of life and light and love in our homes. Amen? Amen. And so should it be in the church. You know, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we actually cannot know and use our spiritual gifts unless other people in the church are willing to say, I see this in you. You know, when you, when you say that, it brings life to my heart. When, when you sent me that note, it was like Jesus was encouraging me. When you prayed for me, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit. When you sang that song, when you brought that meal over, when you just gave me a hug, I sensed the presence of Jesus. Unless we open up our mouths and are willing to tell each other. I don't know why it's so hard for us to tell someone that we appreciate what they did for us. Why is it so hard to say thank you? Why is it so hard to say I'm sorry? Why is it so hard to say I need help, I need you today, can you pray with me? But unless, if, if we begin to open up our mouths and affirm what we see in each other, then we can each actually understand, oh, I must have a spiritual gift in that because people keep thanking me for the words that I speak to them. That's how we release gifts in the body. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, words that speak, there are some of you, this is, this is a calling for every one of us. I hope I've covered every person in here. You get that. But there are some of you that really have to open your mouth to speak because the Spirit has given you a, a, a gift of a word that speaks. And when you speak in various ways that the presence of Jesus is made visible to those around you. And I want to go through just a few of what those ones are. In the scriptures, and, and every week, like last week, we talked about gifts that do. This week's gifts that speak. Next week, gifts that demonstrate. And so, um, there's a bulletin insert that you have, and and uh, all, these will be on the screen as well. But the bulletin insert will give you a sense. You say, okay, well, if I might have a gift like this, or how do I know whether I have a gift like this? Where could I get involved? But stay with me, and I want to walk through some of these for you. There's the gift of teaching, and here's here's how we've written the description on this. Some of you have the gift of teaching, which is to explain God's word to people in a way that helps them understand what it means and creates a desire in them to live according to it. So the, the gift of teaching is not just that you have the ability to help people understand things. Like you may be good at teaching. You may be good at lesson planning, communicating, helping people grasp kind of complex um, concepts and, and integrating them into structures and, and, and ways that they can understand or apply. And that's good, but that's not necessarily the spiritual gift of teaching. The spiritual gift of teaching is someone explaining God's word in a way that helps them understand, like a, something goes off in the mind, something goes off in the heart, and they want to know and have more of God and his word. It makes them want to move towards it. 
Um, one of the guys that I listen to on podcasts all the time, Timothy Keller, he, I believe he is the spiritual gift of teaching. When I listen to him, stuff just goes in my brain. Like He has made me see Jesus more, more glorious than I had ever understood him before. And, and it makes my heart want to know more of Jesus and have more of Jesus. Now, some of the times he, he explains stuff in a scripture passage, and I'm like, how on earth did you get that out of that? I've read that. Never heard that. But now, every time I read it now, now I understand it. Because the spiritual gift of teaching has created fruit in my life. So now I understand the word of God better by someone else who had the spiritual gift of teaching. And now I can even explain it to others because someone blessed me like that. There's something that goes off in that. One of the guys in our church, Rob, who's, a, who's an elder, um, he has a spiritual gift of teaching. Now it's interesting, Rob would hate, would never want to be up at the front of the church teaching you from the scriptures. But he has, I think, a spiritual gift of teaching. We were texting back and forth on this this week. Because here's some of the symptoms. So, so Rob runs a painting business. And one of the things he does all the time is just listening to podcasts all the time. The word of God is being spoken into his ears hours and hours a day. There is a, some of you have this hunger to hear God's word and hear it taught over and you can't get enough. It just keeps feeding you. You listen to other people um, because they're teaching you the word of God and you enjoy you. It's like food to you. Um, you love reading God's word and, and you're passionate about talking to other people about it, about what does it mean. There's certain passages that you chew on, that you read, you think about. Some of you have this gift or you may have some of the symptoms of this gift. Like after home group, you're always emailing people after, hey, I was thinking about this a bit more. You know, and the rest of the people at home are going, man, I wasn't thinking about that at all. I just moved on, you know. But some of you, the spiritual gift, he's just going in you. You can't, you can't get enough. Or, or in home review, you want to press the point. You want to go a bit more. You might come up to me after the service and say, BG, how come you didn't talk about this? And what about this? And I was thinking about this. Some of you have the, some of those symptoms. Like the word of God just ignites in you. And it's not just for you. You're thinking about how you can communicate it to other people. Uh, a, a couple years ago, I sort of tore a muscle in my shoulder, a rotator cuff, and so I was going to physio, and it was right next to the paint store where Rob often gets his paint from. So every so often after my appointment, I'd walk in, and there's Rob holding court. It's like Sammy Malone in Cheers, you know? Like, maybe that's not a holy reference or whatever. But there he was. Like, and Rob's just chatting around with the guys who are in the paint store, the guys who have brought in paint, and not every time, but often it turns to spiritual stuff, and he's they're interacting with them around God's words, and that's a comfortable space for him. Some of you just love to do that. You love to, like what you have discovered about God and his word, you can't wait to tell somebody else about. That may be the seed or a clue of a spiritual gift of teaching, and that as your own passion for the word overflows, the lights go on for other people. It's like a, a you know, Jesus speaking words of light. It illuminates. Somebody teaches the word of God, you go, I get it. You know, and it makes you want to, it's not like, oh, I got some new information. No, it makes you want to know God more. It makes you think, well, maybe I could read the word of God more. It makes you want to move towards the Jesus that this person is talking about from the word of God. Some of the gift of encouragement. The gift of encouragement, I said this way, encouragement or exhortation are used kind of interchangeably, but they each have a different kind of piece to it. So, uh, Encouragement is using words to hug people, basically, okay? <clears throat> using words, prayer, and scripture such that others are strengthened and inspired as they seek to follow Christ. Um, these are words that, that strengthen people, maybe that are feeling weak, that affirm others in, in what you see in them, the, the, the godliness, the goodness of God that you see in them, or that um, inspires them to, to, to grow and to want to move forward. Those with the gift of encouragement, 
Just keep talking. Is that a soundboard thing? Okay. Um, those are the gifts of encouragement. Have that way of words. And it could be maybe you're the person that likes to write. You, d you don't like to actually speak or, or someone that you're, you're speaking. I was thinking about um, Brian Houston, who's the, the lead pastor of Hillsong Church out in Sydney. And Hillsong, those, the songs of Hillsong have gone all over the world. But Brian Houston, if you listen to him preach, he is an encourager. He is so passionate about you know, amping others up about who they are in Christ and encouraging them to follow. And it's interesting, if you look at the music that has come out of Hillsong that has gone all over the world, so much of it is encouraging. It is inspiring. It is, it is calling others up. It is delighting in who God is. It is affirming. It is building up. And he's one of those people. He said, you know, I never, I never like to speak a critical word about someone else in ministry or another pastor or whatever. He just believes in the power of encouragement. I believe he's someone with the gift of encouragement. This is one of those gifts that we figured out over time that I think my wife has. And I joked with you guys a couple weeks ago how neither of us have the gift of administration. So our house schedule is chaotic and things are upside down and we forget stuff all the time. But man, am I so, and sometimes I'm like, oh, and Jen's like, so glad you don't have the gift of administration either because you can't really get annoyed with me for forgetting stuff. Like, yeah, we forget stuff all over the place. But man, am I glad that God has given me a wife with the gift of encouragement. And I'll just say to you, spouse, like, even if your spouse, even if you don't have it, our words are rocket fuel to each other. Like, there's so many times when she just affirms me in the calling that I have. And it, it, to know that, like, when I come home or whatever after sermon, like, she wants to talk to me about it or just, she just affirms me regularly as a dad, even when I feel like I'm not doing what I should be doing or I'm not the kind of dad that I want to be, she just builds me up with her words. She's one of those people that's always thinking to email other people. And I think one of the things that she's discovered is when I get that prompting, I've got to just sit down right then and do it. Some of you have that prompting. I should call that person. And she's had to just get out of her own head and not worry whether the person's going to think it's weird what she wrote or whatever. Or she gets a scripture passage, she's reading something, and all of a sudden she thinks, this is not just for me, this is for somebody else. Some of you have those symptoms. You may have the gift of encouragement. But for her, it was a journey of actually having the courage to just go and do it and regularly go, this is what I do. I call people, I send them notes, whatever. That's how the spiritual gift of encouragement works. It's interesting. She's teaching in Gospel Project this morning. And, and we laugh because the week she, like she hates the preparation of teaching. She finds it so stressful. She doesn't like public speaking. But what she's discovered is she loves encouraging those kids to follow Jesus. So for her... But that's hard when it's a group of 50. So she's kind of going, you know, I think I want to move and be a guide with them because I want to be in a group of six and do it. So for some of you, you might need to find, where's the space that this gift actually works best for me? If you have the gift of encouragement, you need to be in a lot of face-to-face -face relationships. Large groups are going to be hard for you, except you can see things in people and you say, okay, i got to go talk to that person after. i got to go follow up with them. So some of those symptoms are you're always, you're, you see things in other people that you want to affirm. You, you, people call you. Some of you may be like, why are people always calling me? You may have a spiritual gift of encouragement. They get off the phone with you, and they feel like they can carry on. They feel like they can stay married to the person they're married to. They feel like, do you know what I mean? You don't realize it often, but they have left inspired and encouraged. Sometimes you feel like, oh, that was a tough conversation. But you have poured out encouragement on that person, and they have carried on in their walk with God, in their obedience to Christ, in the things that they know that they've been needed to do. So maybe, maybe you just need to realize, wait, that's why people are coming to me. 
Or maybe you have those promptings. You're like, I gotta follow up with that. I gotta write that note. I gotta make that phone call. Now, the gift of exhortation, on the other hand, is like my friend uh, John at C4 said. This is like someone who hugs you and slaps you at the same time. And when they're done hugging you, they want you walk away, and you're like, I think they just hit me, but I needed that. Right? There are people in your life that are like, Come on, man. You go. You gotta get up. What are you sitting on the ground for? Get up. Keep walking. Right? There are people in your life that have the gift of exhortation, that it's an encouragement with a little bit of a oomph, get going. There are two guys in our church who have this, Ruben Urich and Dave Clements, both have it. Dave is one of those guys. He's hugging you, he walks away, and you're like, I think you just hit me in the face, but I feel I'm more inspired to follow Jesus because of that. Dave is one of those people who's not afraid to say, BJ, you need to say, I love you, brother. He'll begin the conversation. That's the beginning and the end. And in between, there's a little bit of pa pa pa, you know? <laughs> but but it, if you ask him, and I know him, it comes from something inside that says, I just have to say this. You know, I know Reuben regularly like that. Oftentimes after a Sunday or an elders meeting, we'll say, Vidge, you know, this was great. I've been thinking about this. We need to do this. He was constantly, he's such a passion to see people who don't know Jesus know Jesus. And he was constantly calling our board back to be paying attention to those that don't know Jesus. It was a gift of exhortation. There are people in your life, you know, who do that. Don't shy away from them because you need what the Lord wants to say to you through them. Some of you, the gift of exhortation, honey, you can say stuff. You get away with saying stuff that nobody else could say. You go, what? People actually listen to me. Maybe that's one of the clues that people, people actually listen to you. You have stuff to say. It's this thing, I don't know why, you can describe it, you can talk to them about it, but it's something that's coming up in you that you know you need to say. Now, you just be maybe someone who just likes to tell people what to do. That's not the gift of exhortation, okay? <laughs> you, you actually have to see whether there's fruit from this. Are they listening? You know, in the end, were they inspired to follow God or did I bring them down, right? Get the gift of exhortation always results in inspiration to follow Jesus more. It's not a beatdown. It's a, come on, let me go with you. You need to do this. I know you know this. You know, don't forget. An exhort exhorter calls us back to things that we are tempted to forget. An exhorter calls us out to take risks and follow God. And so don't shy away from people like that in your life. And if you have some of those things, listen, you just got to try it out. And you can be gentle about it. You can say, look, I, you know, I know you don't know me that well, or I know we've never gone here in our friendship in terms of conversation but, but I see this in your life. I think you're giving into this too easily. I think you need to step up a little bit more. I think you need to make more space for God in your life. Don't be afraid to try to have a conversation. We're all supposed to do that for each other in the body of Christ anyway. But some of you may have this gift on like, you know, with great volume and power that as you do it, that person is inspired to follow Jesus more. That's a gift of exhortation. The gift of evangelism. Communicating in various ways to those who do not know Jesus, which results in them receiving his offer of salvation and reconciliation. Every one of us is called to share the good news about Jesus Christ with others because it's, that's what God did with us, is that he overflowed his love to us and shared the Son with us. And so to love a God like that, as we've said before, is to have a wide embrace. But some of you, as you do that, people will come to Christ in droves. I remember being at the Billy Graham Crusade in 1996, and it was at what's now the Rogers Center. And I was sitting on the, on the ground floor, I was 21 or something like that, 20 maybe, and uh, there were, you know, 50,000 people in that building. 
he got up and he talked about Jesus. Very simple message. And then he invited anybody who wanted to come to the front to follow Jesus. And I'm thinking, no one's coming down after that. Like, that was pretty weak. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but I was like, that's not very compelling. You just told them about Jesus, that he died for them. You need to explain more than that. I turn around. The aisles are full of people streaming down to the floor of the Rogers Center. Thousands and thousands of people. This guy had the spiritual gift of evangelism. We can all, all think, oh yeah, he's the most famous. He just got up and, and just spoke about Jesus and how what Jesus had meant to him. And people are just like, I want that Jesus in my life. This is not about whether you think you are eloquent or have all of the answers to explain or respond to all of the questions or objections that people have to following Jesus. But some of you have this gift and you don't even know it because you've never shared your faith once. How would you know you have it? Come on. How would you know? You actually have to tell people about Jesus. In fact, all of us need to do that. And at some point, some of you will start to realize, whoa, these people are actually listening. I just fumbled it out. And they said yes. Or I said, can I pray with you? And they said yes. And I said, do you want to come to church? And they said, yes. Now, the rest of us, we need not feel guilty that people just ignore our stories about Jesus. Because <laughs> some of us don't have that gift, and that's okay. We still need to be telling them about Jesus, about what he has done for us in our lives. But not everybody has this gift, and you have to be okay with that. You don't have it. But some of you do, and some of you do, but you don't even know because you never said once you got to open up your mouth. So what are some symptoms of this? Well, um... You're always thinking and praying about people who don't know Jesus. There's something in your mind that's just wired like that. Um, when you're with friends and family and neighbors who don't know Jesus, there's something inside you that really wants to talk about it. It's just coming out. There are some people in your life who are constantly bringing up faith issues with you. Maybe even antagonistically. Maybe they're poking you about it. But maybe that's because God's Spirit is on you to actually tell them about Jesus. And they're like, why do they always bring up faith issues with me? Why do they always ask me these difficult questions? I don't know. Maybe God's Spirit is on you to, to have the gift of evangelism, and these people are poking you because they know there's just something about you, and they want to know more about Jesus. And all I can say is the only way you're going to know is if you step out and try. And then there's the gift of intercession. This is praying with and for both believers and non-believers such that they experience the loving presence, power, and provision of God in their lives. An intercessor takes other people to God in prayer. They put one hand on this person, whoever they are, Christian, non-Christian, family, friend, whoever, and one hand on God, and they, they bring them together. Some intercessors are people who love to pray by themselves, and they can pray by themselves for hours. My dad's one of those people. He can go for walks, I, I just thought, I, basically, I was like, man, I, I'm not any kind of Christian, like, if that's what, because he just, he loves to pray, like, he can pray for hours. I cannot pray for hours by myself. Other people are, are, are relationally driven. Pastor Tony, I think, has a gift of intercession. When he prays for you, with you, you can sense the Spirit of God, and his, his prayer gift is ignited relationally. He comes alongside other people. When he joined our staff, we just prayed more as soon as he came to the office. Because that was just one of the things that he did. 
And many times he's up here praying over you, over the church, and we can feel that. It's a relational gift. Others, people just say, just give me the lists, and I'll go away and pray. And, and some people have the gift of intercession. When they pray for you, God answers their prayers for you. God, God provides miraculously. Maybe healing, maybe financial provision. Other people, when they pray, you just sense God's power in their words. And others, you sense his presence, like, man, Jesus was here in that holy moment when they were praying. So, so the intercessor gift looks like different things in different people. So don't compare yourselves to others, but what are the symptoms about that? Some of you get woken up at night, and you don't know why. You need to start saying, okay, Jesus, who am I supposed to pray for right now? Like, if this happens regularly, you can't go back to sleep. Say, so, okay, Jesus, what is it? That suddenly the burden, intercessors often get a burden. And it's not a burden you enjoy. You just say, come on, really? Can't go back to sleep. You can't get someone off your mind. Maybe there's some situation, and maybe you just haven't turned it to prayer yet, but that's what you need to do. It's like, why am I thinking about this? Why am I worried about that person? Why am I, you know, you, some of you read something in the newspaper, and you can't get past the story. It burdens you. Some of you are burdened for people groups. My dad, he prays for people groups he's never met, never been to. He just gets these burdens. He hears about it, he can't let go, and the only thing he knows is, I'm just going to pray. Others of you, individuals, pop in your heart and mind, you think, okay, maybe that's the spirit poking you to say, I want you to pray for that person now because I'm going to work through your prayers. Um, maybe people come to you for prayer. You have the gift of intercession. People are coming to you because they want to be prayed for. Whatever it is, however it looks like, perhaps, again, some of you don't even know you have it because you have not begun to turn yourselves to prayer. And I would say several of these gifts, and certainly some of the gifts next week, our prayer meetings that we have, our Sunday night prayer meetings, you need to look at them as a lab to try out your gifts. Because some of this you're like, I don't know. Like next week we're going to talk about this prophetic gift where like the Spirit of God speaks through you. How is that going to, where are you going to try that out? In the car by yourself? Not going to happen. On your coworker? I wouldn't start there. <laughs> you know, probably in the church where we kind of believe that God speaks through us to each other. You've got to come to a prayer meeting and say, I don't know, I'm just going to try these gifts out. Intercession you may never have come to a corporate prayer because you're so terrified of praying out loud. But maybe that's an environment where this is a lab, where this spiritual gift is going to start to get stoked. Part of ministry life in the church is these little labs where we get to kind of experiment and see, okay, God, is that, is that how you're working in me? What's at stake, friends, is that, remember we said that, that spiritual gifts, are not for you, but they're for the body through you, and that Jesus wants to make himself visible to others through you. What's at stake here is us seeing and understanding and knowing and hearing the words of Christ himself speaking life and truth into us. So we need to pursue it and say, okay, God, I'm open. Whatever it is you want to do, maybe, maybe I'll receive this, but but that we would become a community that is speaking words of life and light and love. And so here's my, my next steps for you. Last week we talked about do something, do something else, do something differently. This week, I want you to, to say something. And, and maybe there's someone in this church family that you want to encourage. And it doesn't matter if you have the gift of encouragement or not. Maybe there's just somebody that you've seen their faithful work, or you've just seen them that maybe they're, they're just struggling, or they've been you know um, feeling weak or down. And you want to just speak a word of life or encouragement, send them a note, grab them after church, talk to them. Maybe there's someone in your circle that you know you need to talk to about Jesus, and you have just been avoiding it. 
There's maybe this one person as I've been talking, you're like, that person I know I need to talk to about Jesus. And you may, you've been avoiding it because you don't have all the words and you don't have all the answers to their questions or whatever. But maybe there's just someone you say, I, I know, I need to say something to that person. Maybe there's someone you've been prompted to pray for or pray with. Praying with is really cool, man. It's one thing to say, I'll pray for you. And another thing, can I pray with you now? And I've encouraged you with this before. Many people will say yes, which is that, that's even scarier, right? It's easy to say, oh, I'll pray for you, right? And then sometimes you forget. Or they're like, okay, good, and then you go away. But man, to pray with them, what you're doing when you pray with someone is you're like, Jesus, come here, sit next to this person. And they can feel the power of Christ through their prayers. Even if it doesn't matter what they, most people, even if they don't believe, they'll let you pray with them. Everybody's good for some prayer. So maybe some of you need to just take that step and pray. Maybe there's another leader in this church. Maybe it's your home group leader, maybe a worship leader or whoever. That you say, I want to encourage those who are leading this church. I want to write them a note or say something to them. Some of you need to say something else. By this I mean maybe there's been a pattern in your family, your family relationships of a lack of affirming words or just negative words. And so you need to, I put this old school, write a letter of love, affirmation, or encouragement to a friend, family member, or spouse. Maybe you need to put pen to paper and start to change the pattern of the trend that has existed in your marriage or your family or whatever. Maybe you need to stop gossiping, gossiping about or being bitter towards someone and start, start praying for them. You ever, had, you ever struggle with someone? Start praying for them. It's really hard to hold on to bitterness when you're praying for them. And what you're not praying is that God would show them the error of their ways, right? What you're praying for is their life, their hope that, Je that Jesus would be more present to them. You're praying for their well-being, for their good. You do that, it's hard to speak negatively about them. You're, you're turning words into life and light and love for people in your life. When I was um, just praying for our service this week, I was just praying that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you, that there's, there's maybe somebody or something in your life that you need to deal with with words. Um, but I don't know who that is. And Jesus knows. So, so what I thought we'd do is just take a couple of minutes and just ask Jesus. Jesus, is there anybody you want me to speak to or talk to or write to? Is Jesus, is there anybody you want me to speak to or talk to or write to? I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to just ask him and wait and listen and see. Maybe there's a name or a person that, that just lands on your heart. And whatever he says, you know, you can trust it in this space. We're open to his spirit. Tony began like, encouraging us to be open to what God wants to say to us. So, Jesus, is there anybody specifically that you want me to talk to, speak to, or, uh, or, or write to? And maybe if he says, yeah, this person, then you can say, well, what do you want me to say? Just ask him. So just take a couple moments to do that. And then I'll close this in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you speak words of life and light and love and whatever you have said to us, Lord. 
pray that you would give us the courage to follow through on it. That somehow you would use our words to speak your life and your light and your love into someone else's life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I just want to bless you with the patience to let God unfold this in your life. Um, patience maybe for some of you, you are desperate for a relationship to change and for words of life to begin to come into it. I just want to bless you with the patience to wait and let that happen. Um, but also the courage to open your mouth. That every one of us needs that. That that would begin to make this place, you know, um, words are infectious. And my blessing is that this place in your life and the circles of your life will begin to be infected by words of life and light and love as you begin to open your mouth. Did you receive that? 